Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Indie Mixtape. My name is Ty, and joining me today, we have HB. How are you doing, HB? Hello. I'm doing great. Hell yeah. Um, so today, we are going to be just jumping right into it. Uh, we both played uh, Hardland uh, as our mutual game. Mm -hmm. uh, which I'll just read the little Steam description here. This is uh, both developed and published by Mountain Sheep. Uh, and it says, In the year 1018, an adventure from Samarkand drifts to Hardland. Solved a mystery by delving into the different sides of this fantasy world. Hardland is a bustling kingdom filled with secrets, a kingdom that wants you to listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Some flavor text for you. Yeah. To quickly explain what it like actually is, is that it's sort of like a Zelda-esque open world game, which is set in a whimsical and mysterious fantasy setting, where you, playing a cute little interloper, insert yourself into a local intrigue of mystical and world-shattering significance. Yeah, you really do just uh, stick your whole nose into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is this, you may ask? Well, <laughs> the answer to that question is complicated. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't even know how to answer that question completely without, like, really digging deep. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this game. Yeah, like, it, I was kind of surprised by, like, how much is happening. Like, yeah. there's, there's, like, obviously, like, the pitch of it, right? It sounds like there's gonna be, but it is, like, pretty, uh, deep, I would say. Yeah. Like, uh, the thing about this game is that usually when people talked about this game, in fact, what I heard about this game was originally, like, Scott Benson played it and was saying, yeah, this game is pretty weird, and so I was like, yeah, this sounds cool. You, you, you're telling me I can hollow out the Goblin King and roll around inside of him? Yeah, I'm interested in this. And then I played it, and it was weird, but there was so much going on. Because... Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. This is a fairly this is a fairly overlooked game. It's from 2019, and I don't think I haven't really heard anything about it other than well, two things. The first thing I heard about is that it's well, pretty weird. And the second thing that people often say about it, like for example, Rock Paper Shotgun do a, did a short feature on it, and the like the main feature that people talk about with this game is that there are quests, but there is no quest log, for instance. Like they yeah. never really like you don't have a journal, and you don't have waypoints or anything like that. And as a result, the quests are usually fairly straightforward in nature, like, go here, do this. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. well, of course, well, of course I there are also... Still, yeah. I definitely need a little bit more hand-holding, um, so there were definitely times where I was like, ah, oh, I don't know where I'm going, I'll fuck. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a fairly small world, so you can just kind of wander around, fuck around, and find out. It's pretty good. Like, uh, there's also... There's also, like, a fair bit of, like, monsters and fighting and stuff like that, but the really funny thing about this game is that you kind of don't need to fight anyone for the most part. You just kind of run past them, <laughs> by and large. Which is something I only really figured out on my second and third playthroughs, which is just like, yeah, you can just roll past everything. There's no real <laughs> good reason to fight anything. <laughs> yeah, and see, I think I, I wish that I had picked up on that quicker. Yeah. I will say. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where the, where the fighting system is, uh... I guess the best way to describe it is kind of blobby. It just kind of... Just kind of... 
you're just kind of you're just gonna swing around and hope for the best. Yeah, I would say the combat is probably like the weakest part of this game. Yeah, which is great because you don't really have to do it aside from like there's like a couple of places where you should be doing it. The rest, uh, for the most part, you can just kind of it's it's best for you if you just don't fight anyone. Especially because, in some cases, like with the goblins, who are going to attack you normally, you can later pick up a mask that makes them not attack you, and you can just talk to them all. You may wonder why all the goblins have names. It's because you can talk to them. <laughs> they have their own things to say and everything. Yeah, and see, that's pretty sick. I like stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, so, to get back to the setting a little bit, to kind of summarize this for the viewer, I have a I have a set of handy-dandy notes for this. So, first of all, the first thing to know about Hardland is that the land is poisonous, and nobody drinks the water. Instead, everybody drinks alcohol, so everyone's a little bit drunk at all times. <laughs> and also, the land is poisonous, and everybody's infertile, so the absolute youngest person in the setting is 18, and everybody else hovers mostly around the 40 to 80 age range. And also... Another thing to another important thing to remember about the land is that the land might be a dream that is being dreamed by the plants of the setting. Mm -hmm. Just a little side note. And everything's just a little bit fucked in Hardland. Goblins have arrived to eat everyone. The dead are rising from the grave so consistently that it's just kind of become a minor annoyance that you kind of have to put up with. And of course, there's a cadre of horrible imps who are aided by elephant mercenaries who run most of the kingdom. At least the parts of it that aren't being run by a ruthless merchant union. I like the big elephants. The big elephants are so cute. They're lovely. Also, also just kind of annoyed at having to be here. Yeah, they always look so grumpy. Yeah. Can you blame them? Hardland is a pretty horrible place to be. Oh yeah, no, I don't blame them at all. I just love their faces are like the textbook definition of grumpy. Yeah. And of course, most of this game is, uh, most of this game is about kind of the mystery of being in this place. Like, why are you here? What are you doing here? What can you do about the ways in which the setting is fucked? Is this an isekai? Yeah. What's well, well, a weird thing, right? Because you come from the island nation of Samarkand, and then you meet the and then you meet the king of Samarkand, or whatever he whatever he was, or the sultan of Samarkand, I think he was. And then he starts, and then he says, "Oh yeah, come to Samarkand with me." And then he just starts telling you a story about Samarkand. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's foxes in Summercon. It's implied that that also was a dream. It's that kind of game, you know? Mm-hmm. And speaking of dreams, one of the ways in which this game is sort of elusive is that most of it is about dreams. Whenever you go, you sleep. Well, whenever you go to sleep, you dream. And usually, and usually your dreams are a little short poem with a little unsettling or goofy image. Like a little piece of poetry that it gives to you. How do you find the dreams in this game? Um, I thought they were pretty neat. I'm trying to think of, like, the right word for it. I think that they were, like, kind of funky and trippy in a good way. Um, yeah, I, I, um, sorry, I'm on the Steam page and I'm watching this little man run while holding another man. Um, and it's pretty yeah. distracting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, d d d to to summarize, I think uh, dream sequence is good. <laughs> yeah, and the second part of this is that you not only you get the regular dream sequences, but also sometimes you dream deeper. 
And the way you make this happen is that you drink booze and eat food in certain formulae before resting. <laughs> yeah, listen, we all know that sometimes you eat something and it gives you fucked up dreams. Yeah. So there's a, and, and this gives you more extended sections that give you like lore about what the setting is. Sometimes you get fully playable sequences where you talk to somebody or see some kind of event playing out, that kind of thing. And because this is the way that you discover how, what's actually kind of going on in the setting, like you, through dreams, you'll figure out what dragons are, what's going on at the bottom of the world, like what's, what the Elder King even is, that kind of thing. And the fact of it is, is that this game kind of makes you into a little bit of a dream gourmet. Mm-hmm. You're playing a fucked up guy, and so and you'll meet somebody on the way who'll say, Oh god, I ate like uh <laughs> I ate like two loaves of bread and drank three uh and drank three pints of beer before bed. Don't do that. You'll have the most fucked up nightmare you'll ever you've ever had. And you're like, hmm, I'll have to do that then. <laughs> you just kinda have to bring around a notepad and when somebody tells you about uh when somebody tells you about the horrible fucked up dream they had about after eating like ten blocks of cheese. You go like, yes, yes, I need this. <laughs> Gotta get me some of that. It kind of reminded me of, like, in The Witcher 3, you know how you can, like, eat food to regenerate health? Um, I had a playthrough of that where I bought, like, 50 dumplings and was just, like, eating, like, basically playing Geralt, just shoving dumplings into his mouth as he was, like, fighting people. And yeah. this has a similar energy, but instead of trying to boost your health, you're trying to boost your dream shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like... Let's, uh... Heartland is noteworthy because it's kind of the best food system in the game that I've, like, that I've, like, ever seen. Specifically because it's not really about stat bonuses, it's not about giving yourself, like, a... like, a meal that will make you stronger. It's more about, like, variety, like, finding recipes, being, like, uh... Uh, putting yourself in weird mind spaces using food and drink. And every time it's, like, something new. Something that, like, tells you more about the setting. Because most of this game is about understanding where you are and what you're doing. And also you get to ride on a big old boar. You get to ride on a big old boar. Like, that happens if you get, like, a goblin mask, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of masks, <laughs> this game has kind of a Majora's Mask situation going on. Yeah, it really does. It has, um, like, it's not quite a time loop, I guess, but it has that, what's going on? Better put on a mask and figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can just put on the mask and people are gonna be like, oh, that's who you are now. Yeah, oh, obviously that man is a goblin now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go up to goblins and they go like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a really big, like, kids in a trench coat energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not just it's not just for, like, goblins or, like, other sentient creatures. It's also, like, put on a wolf mask. Wolves just don't attack you anymore. Yeah, because you're a wolf now. Yeah. And you can also go to a girl who's also wearing a wolf mask, and he's gonna be like, oh yeah, a wolf like me. And then she'll, you know, give you a recipe for a nightmare. <laughs> it's just yeah. a good time there. You can just You can just talk to all kinds of monsters, you can do that kind of thing, and Personally, my favorite one is the fox is is the fox mask because what the fox mask does is you put it on, then you can go up to most anyone and you can ask them to tell you about their dreams. <laughs> and they have to answer. And usually this like leads to little vignettes where they start tell, telling you about their dreams 
and they have this, uh, and they're either unnerving or like strangely sincere or something like that. It's just like you've you've just kind of hypnotized them into telling you about their dreams. Is the vibe? Yeah, I like just kind of listening to people talk about uh, their shit, their dreams. Mm -hmm. And now my second favorite mask is, of course, the one where you decapitate a man and turn his head into a mask. Oh, yep, yep, yep. As and then do. use it to sneak into a bank vault. Listen, that's what you do in Baldur's Gate 3 too, alright? It's called game design. Yeah. Listen, to me this is gaming. This is my Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> there, I'm, it's so funny you said that, because there's literally, I'm still on the Steam page, and like, the thing that just went by absolutely looks like a fucking mind player if it was done by like, Nickelodeon. <laughs> um, so, just peak. Yeah. I think, I think one of the, I think one of my favorite things about this game is that barely anybody has ever played it, and so there's both an insane amount of depth, and just not that many people playing it, and so even if you find, like, a walkthrough on Steam, I think my favorite one is one that looks like just a little journal where the player documents all the strange things they've encountered, and how to find them. Like, nowhere near exhaustive. There's just a lot of, there's just a, uh, just, like, lots of weird shit they've encountered, whether it's trying to see if it's important or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Like many of my favorite games, this one is just kind of a mystical object in its own right. <laughs> HB loves a blorbo. Yeah. <laughs> I love a blorbo representative of the, of the deeper mystical truths of the universe. You love to Just ponder a... the Blorbo. Yeah. And of course, this is one of my favorite games of all time, which is why I recommended it. It's, it's just a game that's about... It gets an unrivaled surrealist object. And the mm -hmm. most marvelous thing about it is it's kind of weirdly coherent. Like, even without the quest log, even without all of that, like, it all just kind of makes sense. Yeah, like, I definitely had some moments of, like, wandering around and being like, oh, what the fuck. But, like, eventually, like you said, like, the world is small enough that you can kind of just, like, fuck around and find out. Yeah. Like, it's beautifully designed and entirely thought through, is the, weir is the weirdest thing about it, really. Yeah. Any last impressions of Hardland? I like the guy's little hat. Oh, yeah. He's got a fun, like, wide-brimmed hat, and I just think that it's nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can get, like, a lot of hats. I think my, my favorite one is the one with the, uh... My favorite hat, which is different from a mask, is that you can get one that's just, like... Just, like, a cap with just the biggest, uh... What do they call them? Like, the thing on, like, a... The thing on the cap. Like, the top part? Like, the like top... The hat? Like, no, I mean, like, the, uh... Like, the bill? Yeah, the bill. <laughs> like you get one of those and it's just it's just huge. Lots of ridiculous hats. Also just also the hats aren't really useful for anything. You can just kinda have them and they're pretty. But yeah. That's all I got on Hardland. Yeah, same here. What's your first game, HB? My first game? Okay. My first game is a little game called Six Ages Two, Lights Going Out. Which, you know, I'm submitting here because uh because we're in the time of year when we have to contemplate the gathering darkness. So, this is a 2023 game by A-Sharp, published by Kit Fox Games. And Ty, have you ever played King of Dragon Pass? I've not. I've heard of it, but I've not played it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a 
the Six Ages games are streamlined versions of that. Basically the same type of game, but like a little more, uh, a little less janky. Only a little, though. And for those unfamiliar, Six Ages, in Six Ages, you play a clan of animal herders in the Bronze Age fantasy setting of Glorantha. Now, in Lights Going Out, unfortunately, your two chief gods are fucking dead at the hands of Chaos, and more are going to die on the way. Now and again, you'll look up at the sky, and you'll go like, Oh, fuck, one of my gods, is, one of my gods has been killed. All of their followers are dying on the spot. And that kind of thing is going to start happening. And even more unfortunately, this is only going to get worse. The rest of the world is, only go is eventually going to dissolve at the hands of Chaos, because, you know, it's the Age of Chaos and all that. Uh, the sun is getting dimmer, horrible curses are a monthly occurrence, the crops are failing, and the seasons are getting harsher, and it's just not going to get better anytime soon. In fact, when you start the game, your prosperous tribe from the, <laughs> from the original Six Ages, uh, they're kind of they've kind of fallen on hard times because their entire circle of elders was killed by a blood blizzard. <laughs> and also like a skin plague or something like that. Oh. This kind of thing is just kind of happening. But, of course... You just gotta keep living. You gotta make the best of it in the spite of this, which means, as in line with, like, King of Dragon Pass style, like, Six Ages style, you gotta manage, in exhaustive detail, your entire small clan of animal herders, you oversee their seasonal life, you do trade, you raid your neighbors, you placate your other neighbors, you engage in various supernatural intrigues, and, you know, just in general try to unfuck your life as best you can. And, yeah, you just kinda... The whole game is just, like, lots of little decision points about this. You manage your basic numbers, you make decisions, you adjudicate various cases, like, uh, you welcome travelers, you battle chaos, you appease chaos if you want to, and you get entangled with the end of the world, uh, in many, many ways. And, yeah, of course, all in all of this, you are, uh, surrounded by your ring of advisors, who you appoint. This is your clan ring. And they are going to give you advice ranging from helpful to actively counterproductive, depending on who you put up there. <laughs> you can't just put on a put up put up put on some genuine dumb motherfuckers up there, and they're just gonna you know, start telling you stories about this thing or that thing. Or you can put a trickster in there who'll just tell you to do the funny thing every time. And yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> you kind of you're kind of overwhelmed by lore and choice and all kinds of things in this game, and I think that's a good vibe because. After all, the world is ending. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this one is, of course... Uh, and, of course, there's lots of pre-established lore, because Glorantha is, like, one of the oldest RPG settings. Yeah. There's just... It's ancient, it's beloved, and the game does not really feel the need to explain most of it. <laughs> like, who the gods are and that kind of thing. Like, there is, there are little primers in there, but most of the, but most of the detail is just, uh, just kind of... You just kind of vibe away and try to, you know, work out what's going on on your own. <laughs> and yeah, uh, this game is a sequel to Six Ages, Ride Like the Wind. This one has like a much sharp, uh, this one has sharper difficulty because, well, of course, the world is ending. It also has darker subject matter because, of course, the world is ending. And there's also a higher difficulty curve of the lore presented because A, the world is ending, and B, lots of things are coming together as the world is ending. But yeah, this game, but compared to Six Ages Red Like the Wind, this this game also just really kicks ass because it really executes on this premise really well. And you don't really need to have played the first one to play this, although the first one is also very good. I've heard good things about these games, for sure. Yeah. 
there's really quite nothing, there's really nothing out there like them. Because uh, one of the coolest things about this game is like, you know how King of Dragon Pass was about inventing the concept of a king in a place that's never really had one? And so mm -hmm. you had to like jump through all these hoops because uh, kingship is not like an intuitive concept. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And so in lights going out, the interesting thing is that uh, it's, de it's depicting politics and nation building in like a really, really direct way. So mm -hmm. part of it is that you once had a kingdom, but it's kind of fallen apart. People have just kind of drifted away because, uh, well, you know, your old kings have been killed in wars and blood blizzards and skin plagues and all of that. Yeah, you know, the usual. Yeah. And and this game kind of has a running plot thread through it where it goes through the... Uh, where on one hand, there's the political convenience of having a king and that king being part of your tribe. And of course, on the other hand, there's a the terrible fact that nobody really gives a shit about your king anymore. <laughs> But your king is just on your clan ring a lot of the time, and you kind of have to, uh, you kind of have to put up with them. Just gonna keep, just gonna keep telling you, listen, we gotta shore up the authority of the kingship, and it's only the king telling you this for the most part. <laughs> we gotta bring kings back, you know, says the king. And yeah, there's a, uh... and also as a side note, there's also trans characters in this game, which I was kind of surprised by, mm -hmm. because. Uh, it's, uh, this one had the uh, this one I got a real kick out of. In my game, I had like a trans daughter of one of my clan ring members who adopted the horse rune, which is you know a girl rune in this in this clan, and she eventually became and she eventually was the last human being left alive as the world dissolved. Mm -hmm. All told, this is you know this game kind of broke my brain a little bit in the best way. Yeah, that's fair. It it seems it seems really really fucking nifty, honestly. Yeah. It's like, uh, this is a game for you if you like to feel overwhelmed. <laughs> but yeah, that's about all I have about uh, Six Ages 2. Awesome. Um, so my first game uh, is called Fish Game, and it is uh, a quote-unquote sophisticated aquarium simulator. Mm. And I recently have... Uh, become a big aquarium guy about a month ago i bought an aquarium and i have a betta fish and a little mystery snail well not little he's kind of big um so, <laughs> I, so i'm very into uh aquarium shit right now and so this game is in early access right now and it's like very much supposed to be for people who are like into fish keeping by people who do it and you yeah, you build aquariums and you put different fish and you have to like meet their needs in terms of what kind of habitat they have and what kind of lighting they have and how many tank mates they have. Mm -hmm. And you get to do like aquascaping, which is like pretty fun and zen. And there's lots of different plants and rocks and like trees and stuff that you can put in. And then you also have to like take care of the aquarium and clean it. Um, and make sure the filtration and stuff is all that is all good. And then it also has a photo mode, uh, which is really fun to just like oh take pictures of the take pictures of the fish. I'd be taking pictures of my fish. Uh huh. As you should. Yeah. And um, yeah. There's gonna be oh you can make multiple tanks too, which is really really fun. And then you 
when the game like goes into 1.0 they said there's going to be over 50 different species of like fish and plants that you can do in your tanks so uh if you're a fucking aquarium nerd it rules Mm -hmm. can you get that big fucked up worm in your aquarium in this game uh which big fucked up worm are we talking about uh it's the one that's it, it it's the one with the big jaws the one that you can't really get out easily uh it like it, it like grows to many feet long i don't think they have those in this i haven't seen all of them mm -hmm. i'll be i'll i'll admit but i hope not because those are scary <laughs> and i don't yeah, they're like scary them. as hell they're bad guys yeah i don't like those dudes but yeah it's also on sale right now because it just came out in uh early access so yeah mm -hmm. you recreate your own aquarium in this game i may or may not be using this game kind of as like how some people use the sims to like design rooms and things yeah. i may be planning some future things in Ooh. fish game <laughs> Looking forward to updates about fish game in real life. I love aquariums now, dude. Yeah, I mean this is. I th I th I think that's great. It's like it's like you know dollhouses if you could put a little creature on them. Yeah. Also, I have it's like a garden because I have plants. Mm hmm. I be growing plants. I have a snail. Yeah. He's chilling. Yeah. Snails are just snails are underappreciated. Literally, the last episode that I recorded with Emma, we spent like 20 minutes talking about snails. Yeah. S snails got so much going on. Snails rule. Um, but this isn't a, a podcast about snails. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... It's not a podcast about snails yet. 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 Stay tuned. Stay tuned for the Patreon-exclusive Uppercut Snail podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so Fish Game is sick, uh, and I like it. What's your next game, HB? My next game is The Veil, Shadows of the Crown. I want uh, everyone to know that that's a veil as in like V-A-L-E, not veil as in like, yes. a, like a veil. A valet, not a... Uh, yes. Not a veil. Yes, a valet. A, a, a small valley. Yeah. You see, that's why the colon is important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. People make fun of me for, for, in, for, a use, for making, for, you know... Consuming only games that have colons in their titles. Listen, but, who, no one's ever said that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> there's rumors. That my, <laughs> there's rumors that my habits are being questioned. Anyway, <laughs> the disambiguation is handy here. The Veil, Shadows of the Crown, which is a 2021 game by Falling Squirrel and Creative Bites. In this game, you play a blind princess who's been sort of exiled to a keep on the borderlands of your empire because it'd be inconvenient for the crown to have you around for a number of reasons, some of which become clear as the game goes on. However, wouldn't you know it, there's, been, there's a huge invasion from the west that throws your entire trip into disarray, leaving you stranded about, like, 500 miles from your home with no living friends to speak of. Your uncle, for example, 100% dead. Your uncle who trade your your uncle who trade you in various like fighting techniques and that sort of thing because of course you're a princess you have to be able to kill or I mean you're hardly a sovereign are you women's rights women's rights anyway the game is played in the first person however there's a twist since you're blind you can't actually see anything other than this sort of constant particle effect I was gonna say how do you see if you are blind 
you don't. <laughs> That's the trick of this game. So there's just this constant particle effect that gives you a vague idea of how your body is positioned and how fast you're moving. This is actually very clever. Because it gives you a sort of proprioception as well as like a little thing to look at if you are a sighted player. Which this game isn't actually necessarily designed for. Because it's designed to be played without needing any visuals at all. And has a pretty comprehensive audio interface that's intended for blind players first and foremost. And instead, instead of orienting yourself by sight, you orient yourself by positional audio cues. In the exploration sections, you, for example, wander around the village and follow the sound of, like, a clinking hammer to find a blacksmith, for instance. And, of course, you might be wondering, how does combat play out in this game? And that also was done by positional audio cues. So, when the time comes that you have to pull out your sword and start killing people, which, you being the princess, of course, is fairly soon, and once that happens, you start, uh... You have to deflect blows coming from either side or the front of you. It's kind of like, in the sense, it's kind of like Faith, where there's like, uh, there's like, except in this case, there's like three directions, and you point your shield or your sword in one direction or the other, based on where the sounds are coming from. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're also trying to, you know, and while you're doing this, you also try to stab whoever's trying to hit you, and it's all based on, like, positioning and timing and that kind of thing. And you being, you being pretty well trained, you manage to get pretty good at ending lives as the game goes on. All the and all the while, as you do as you do while you're killing and you're exploring, you meet strange new friends, you meet all sorts of new enemies, you do good deeds, you stab some villains, and just in general have a pretty good fantasy adventure for yourself. And all of this, of course, is helped by really solid character writing and very good voice performances. Like, I was surprised at how what an incredibly enjoyable audio experience this game was. Like a sort of uh sort of like a well-produced fantasy radio play, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, you, you can't really afford to, sk to skimp on the audio if the entire game is audio. Yeah. Inter yeah. In interesting design overall. And yeah, as the game goes on, you start to learn more about what's going on with the war. You even begin to learn some sorcery. And yeah, <laughs> this is actually also the save mechanic of the game. Uh, if you die, you get returned to a previous checkpoint, and what happens gets framed as like a premonition that you had. <laughs> so, that's a, so that's an angle this game also takes. Okay. Lots of, some mystical stuff going on, but overall, it's very cute and very funny. Yeah, this seems really cool. I feel like I, I like, missed this, but it yeah. seems cool. It is very cool. Like, it's a fairly straightforward take, so it's, uh, so it does manage to, it does manage to get a lot of charm out of that. And, uh, I think... I think where I knew that I would really that I would really enjoy this game is that early on there's a side quest where you, the princess, and your travel companion, you get contracted to kill some rats in the cellar. And this becomes a whole little scene where you just kind of start waxing nostalgic about the cook in your palace, inventing a children's game where the kids would go down in the cellar and bring back three dead rats in return for a suite. <laughs> Good. And it just kind of keeps going at this rate, like, uh... All sorts of colorful characters come your way. Uh, I think, <laughs> including some very, very bizarre tableaus, like uh, like a guy coming at you with a flaming rolling pin. Just some, just some pretty interesting, just some pretty interesting imagery being laid down in this game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it starts out pretty basic, but it rapidly gets gets pretty damn interesting. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really have that much more here. I think it's, uh, I think it's just a, 
Like it is a like it is a fairly straightforward game. It doesn't have a uh, it doesn't have that much going on in it. But what it does have going on, it executes on very very competently and well. Oh yeah, yeah. This seems yeah. very neat. I'm I'm putting this on my list for sure. Yeah. So what's your second game? My second game is Salt Sea Chronicles, which just came out this year, and it is a narrative game from the folks who did Mutazione. I think is how you say that. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Gute Fabrik. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad that you said it because I would have not said that well. Yeah. So this is the Gute Fabrik's uh, second or third. I think it might actually be their third project. It has the same cool like kind of the art that they use doesn't really have like hard outlines. It's a lot of like shapes. Um, yeah, yeah. And like very saturated colors, which I think looks really nice. And it is. A story-driven adventure game, similar to, like, their other stuff, um, where you uh, need to heist your impounded ship and rescue um, someone in this post-flood kind of, like, water world energy world that they call the Salt Sea. And so, like, as you're going, you're trying to rescue your captain and get your ship back and so as you do that you can kind of choose like where on the salt sea you're gonna go and like who you're gonna talk to um and then that in turn influences like where the story goes um and how your crew you know pans out and you kind of have to decide like what the priorities of the crew are in terms of like are we focusing on solving the captain's disappearance? Are we focusing on getting the ship out? Are we focusing on like a side thing that we found while we were looking into all of this? And so basically the game is set into like chapters. And so each chapter you choose an island on the salt sea uh, that you're going to visit and you decide who from the crew is going to go visit and then based on like who goes um and where they go you get different scenes um and like the relationships between the characters that you send will like grow and change um and that can also like lead to creating tensions or resolving them um and yeah it's it's just like a cool like snappy little um narrative game and if you liked like Mutazione it's similar it's not i would not say it's as um kind of melancholy but it is cool and fun to be a funky little pirate trying to solve a mystery mm -hmm. i mean speaking of somebody who really loved the soap opera elements of mutazione and really uh and really wish there would be more boat content in that I, I'm very glad to have heard about this game. Yeah, they heard you. They they said, oh, you wanted more boat? We'll give you more boat. Yeah. Boat time is a good time. Boat time. Boat time. Boat party. Hell yeah, boat party. But yeah, oh, there's also a card game, too, in it. Yeah! I love a card game. Yeah, there's, a, there's an in-game card game. So, if that tickles mm -hmm. your fancy... What kind of card game is it? 
they call it a trick-taking card game. I don't really know how to explain it. I don't really know, like, card game terms very well. Um, it also oh, yeah, yeah. kind of changes depending on, like, which island you're on. Some of them have, like, different house rules, and they just, like, change the game on you. Um, <laughs> it's clever. I yeah, love that. Yeah, it's cool. But so, yeah, there's, like, there's different variations of this, like, just kind of, it's just, like, a basic card game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool little game for sure. Um, and like, if you liked, um, Yurizione, like it's in that vein, but like, it's not quite as like persistently melancholy. Um, it's a little more like we're solving a mystery and we're funky pirates, but it does have some darker moments too. Cause you are like trying to figure out why your captain disappeared and shit. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really cool and, um, I have been digging it. Yeah. I'm gonna have to play this. Yeah, I think you should. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so many good games. It's wild. Like, I need developers to chill the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, it sucks to be living through, like, an, in- <laughs> like an indie game, uh... Renaissance? Yeah. Like an indie game revolution, you know? It's just... just so many of them. And I think it's not really a renaissance, because they're... There's never been anything like it before. Just like, just calm down. All of you, just calm down. Yeah. There should be a limit. There should be like, like 20 of you get to go a year. And that's it. And you have yeah. to wait until next I want to play all of them year. is the problem. Yeah. Well, at any rate, that's indie games. HP, where can people that's find you? You can find me on gm36.itch.io. That's right, gm36.itch.io. Beautiful games at the price of free. <laughs> Specifically for you. Hell yeah. And you can find me on all social media at a wolfkeeper. Yeah, that's going to do it for this time. And we will see you next time for more indie games. Goodbye. Yeah. See you soon. <laughs>